When is Milestone coming back? When are we getting more Milestone? Well, let's put it this way. Hey, folks, welcome back to the Blur Girl podcast. I'm your host, Karen Mahorn, and we've made it through another week of hand washing and self-quarantining. Is that a word, quarantining? I hope you and your family are well and that this is a welcome break in these kind of stressful times. <laughs> Continuing with my interview series, this episode is one that many of you have been waiting for. It's with legendary artist and Milestone comic co-founder, Dennis Cowan. Now, when I announced on Twitter that I was gonna talk to him, y'all kind of went bananas. <laughs> I got so many questions. Now, a portion of that interview is now up on Sci-Fi Wire, but our conversation was so much fun that I thought I would share it pretty much in its entirety here on this episode. But before we get into all that, here's a special message from the CDC. COVID-19, better known as coronavirus, has spread throughout the world. There are a few ways to help lower the spread of this respiratory disease. Wash your hands, avoid touching your face, including mouth, nose, and eyes, cover your coughs and sneezes, monitor your symptoms and consult with your doctor. Stay at home and away from other sick people except for medical care. Clean and disinfect high-touch surfaces. For more information, please visit cdc.gov forward slash COVID-19. Thank you. Welcome back. Now, I just want to remind you lovely people to please subscribe and leave a comment over on iTunes for me if you can, because it really helps me out. And if you like this podcast episode, please screenshot it and tag the Blurred Girl over on IG stories with what you liked about it. And if you really want to support what I'm doing, please contribute to my coffee page. For those of you who don't know what coffee is, coffee, K-O hyphen F-I, it's kind of like Patreon, except they take fewer fees. So that's why I'm, I'm with them. I will link to it in the show notes, but your help really helps me keep the show going, the site going, and eventually pay for expenses like um, a real live mixer, a video editor, and so much more. I'm also going to be putting some exclusive content over there, so stay tuned to that page. Now, whenever Dennis Cowan is mentioned within comic book circles, most people immediately start talking about Milestone Media the groundbreaking company that Cowan and his childhood friend, Derek Dingle, would co-found along with Michael Davis and the legendary Dwayne McDuffie. But Cowan was actually contributing to comics long before his milestone days. He actually began his career at the tender age of 14 years old. He was an intern at Marvel Comics for the late great artist, Rich Buckler. Now, this was when you could apprentice under someone and learn the ropes and eventually get work because comics were coming out once every few months as opposed to once every 15 minutes. And there's, there was clearly no digital then. Now, Cowan has drawn classic characters for books like Black Panther, Power Man and Iron Fist, and his first big DC Comics project with Denny O'Neill was when they collaborated on the first run of The Question in 1987. 
Now, over 30 years later, Cowan's career has come full circle. In 2018, he collaborated with Bill Sienkiewicz and Chris Sotomayor on a collector's edition poster for the Black Panther movie. Then he worked with the team again when Jeff Lemire revived the question and asked them to return to a new series called The Question, The Deaths of Vic Sage. This is currently still ongoing. What's great about this What's great is in this longer interview, he answers many of the questions you asked on social media. He talks about what it's like coming back to Vic after all this time. And he answers that question that you heard me ask him at the top, which is what is going on with Milestone? Now, I will caveat this and say that this conversation happened well before the earth was put on shutdown from COVID-19, but I still think most of it holds true. So up next my interview with artist Dennis Cowan. I'm just going to get started and actually ask you about your origin story. Okay. Where did you grow up? Where, where are you from? Where are your people from? Um, I'm from I'm from New York. I'm a New Yorker. I was born in, in Queens, in Jamaica, Queens. Uh, uh, was raised in, uh, I was raised in, in Jamaica, Queens, raised by my grandparents. Um, my my mom passed when I was like really young. So my grandparents took all his kids in and raised us the best they could. I started drawing when I was very young, you know, as an elementary student. In fact, I started drawing when I was a kid, when, when my mom used to be an artist, she was an artist and she would draw. And yeah, she would, oh, she wow. was an amateur artist and amateur oil painter and sculptor. And in her off time, she would do these things in the living room. So my whole living room would smell like linseed oil and oil paint. And I didn't know what it was, but I knew my mom did it, and it was fascinating to me, like watching her do that. And I think that's where I got the initial germ to 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 want to draw myself. Didn't have any comic books. All I had was a Superman TV show. So I would try to draw the Superman TV show in boxes, like television box. I figured out that's my origin story. But I was like that too. Like I didn't have the access. I was watching right. animated right. series and stuff. So. It's wonderful to hear that, like, I wasn't the only one. Like, there's not everybody had access to go to no, those comic book shops and no, spend all that money. <laughs> no, no, we weren't. You know, I was a little kid. I was going out to comic book shops, and my mom certainly wasn't going out to buy comic books for me. You know, mm-hmm. she was busy trying to raise all those kids and stuff. So it was, you know, turn the TV on the babysitter. I watched Superman, black and white <laughs> Superman, and that was my idea of, like, comic books. Or that was my concept of a superhero. So that's how that's what I would draw. Now, were there other heroes that you had, not just superheroes, but were there other people that you considered heroes in your life when you were young? Who did you look up to? No, I didn't have any, like I'm thinking about it now, like who did I look up to in the neighborhood or anything? No, I was a nerdy stay at home, um, draw, you know, draw in my sketch pad, um, very shy kind of kid. But the, the local dude around the block who was everybody's hero, it wasn't anything like that. It was, um, it was every man for himself. <laughs> all, all my heroes really were found by the time I discovered comic books, you know, third grade or whatever. Now, when, when you discovered um, them in third grade, what was, what was it that you were reading in third grade? Uh, in third grade, I was introduced to comics by my future milestone partner, Derek Dingle. Mm-hmm. And remember, I'm drawing stick figures in boxes. I hadn't even really seen a comic book at that point in third grade. Okay. Um, my mom had just passed, not to get into all this mom and stuff. And I was living with my grandparents, still hadn't gotten any comic books. So now I'm in school, I'm in elementary school from there. And I'm sitting in class in PS 37 and mind my own business. And the person who sat next to me 
I guess it was because of alphabetical, alphabetical order thing was Derek Dingle, Dennis Cowan, Derek Dingle. Mm-hmm. And um, he pulled out a comic book and it was Jack Kirby's New God. Wow. First comic book I ever saw was a Jack Kirby New God's comic with Black Racer. And wow. I'm like looking at this thing like, what is this? And Derek was like, this is a comic book. And I'm like, well, how does this happen? He's like, this guy, Jack Kirby, drew this comic book. And this guy, Stan Lee, wrote, I mean, like Stan Lee didn't mind, but Jack Kirby wrote and drew it. It was like this whole thing. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. So literally my mind was blown by Derek Dingle showing me my first comic book. My first comic book was a Jack Kirby comic. Changed, and it changed everything. That's amazing. Obviously you and Derek, knew each other as kids and you were, you know, you were geeks then you were geeking out over these, not just these comic books, but it sounds like you had a lot in common in general. Aside from being, you know, mostly lower middle-class black kids in Queens, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> trying not to get beat up. Yeah. We, <laughs> we didn't have a lot in common. We had everything in common. Um, uh, you know, comic book loving geek kids. And actually Derek's brother was the one who was the artist among all of us. Derek and I would sketch around, but his brother Butch was a really great artist and he would do these comic books. And I initially started drawing because I wanted to be like Derek's brother. Oh, wow. And and draw comic books like that. Yeah, it's crazy. It's all, all it's totally true. You wanted my origin story. That's the origin story. <laughs> um, copying behind Derek's brother is what really got me drawing a lot. And then, you know, we do these comic books in school and you do like 10 page comic books and then you staple together. You mm-hmm. wouldn't copy it. You would just sell the thing you just drew. So there you go. I would just give out these things. Yeah, there you go. That's <laughs> how you make comic books. And then you'd have to do it all over again if somebody wanted multiple copies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Part two is coming up. <laughs> Wait for it. <laughs> so jumping forward, I mean, because obviously you have that childhood sure. friend that you had known all these years. And then when you decided to co-found, and it obviously wasn't just you and Derek, but you both became co-founders in Milestone Comics in 1993. Right. And lately there's been this huge resurgence in my interest of milestone, you know, and not that the company's obviously gone away, right. but in some of the original characters, sci-fi did a commentary DC right. universe has been rewatching mm-hmm. all the old static mm-hmm. shows. What's it been like watching this mm-hmm. whole nother generation fall in love with these characters that you created? It's been um, a bit surreal. Uh, a little surreal um, because, you know, you figure people that's they forgot because, you know, I see people at cons and they always remind me, ah, oh, man, I really love static. Um, but you don't know that it's on people's consciousness as much as it is until I didn't know until recently that people are really into these characters like that. I think that, um, so it's extremely gratifying to answer the question. It's, it's awesome. What a feeling to know that you help create something that people really respond to and, and still love that's uh that's that's quite that's quite a thing to have happen and not many people get to experience that you know so that's that's great yeah and what's interesting um, also is i because one of the reasons why i actually started my blur girl um website was years ago i was so many people were talking about we need more diversity in comics we need more black characters and i remember saying okay but we have them y'all just don't know who they are and I would constantly talk about like Milestone and a lot of the older right. characters and stuff. And and it was really interesting to me then when obviously this resurgence happened, but a lot of people didn't realize how much of the storylines you guys had that were based on 
reality. For instance, you were just on yeah. DC Universe talking about how the Bang Babies, the basically the origin story or the or the catalyst for most of the powers in the Dakota Universe, Static included, was based on mm -hmm. the real life bombing of the Move organization in 1985 yes. can you can you elaborate on that well it's um you know we were Dwayne I remember discussing this with Dwayne and and trying to figure out okay how did these characters how are we going to get these characters how are they going to have powers like we have to create this whole universe we want this electric power guy how does he get these powers like what what happens Dwayne was the one who brought up the move organization I have to admit and and what happened and how they blew up a whole city block and how the cops blew up this whole city block trying to get this one organization, how they killed all these people. And we instantly thought, well, there's the catalyst for, you know, what the cops are going to do to these kids once these so-called gangs gather what they're going to do. They're going to just bomb mm -hmm. everybody except the bomb. Like, we just extrapolated from there. So it wasn't – it was a revelation, but it wasn't like, um, you know, it wasn't a big discussion. It was like Dwayne brought that up. We thought this was the move. This was the perfect look. Let's just do it like that. And we just use that as inspiration. It was a little shocking to us at the time that that had happened. But even at that time, I mean, we were in all in our 30s. It wasn't a whole lot that shocked us. I was going to say. What was, like... um, what was the thing was putting it on paper. Yeah. You know, yeah. Getting it down on paper was the thing. But there were other things that at Milestone that were also inspired by, you know, mm -hmm. real life situations, too, whether or not they were direct or indirect. Right. Wasn't that one of the goals we took a lot from our lives and from real life and the things that were happening around us at the time if you remember at that time in 1993 and 1992 this was the time of a lot of black consciousness mm -hmm. good or bad you know it was the rise of public enemy and x-clan and mm -hmm. brand nubian and all these you know conscious rappers and stuff it was a big movement so we were part we saw ourselves as part of the comic book part of that, you know, of this, of this resurgence. Um, so as much as, you know, the people, the artists of that time mm -hmm. took their times and translated it into art, that's the same thing we did. We just simply took the times we lived in and expressed what it was like being a black young creator trying to speak the truth in those times. That's all we did. Who was your favorite milestone character? They're all my favorite, really. Probably <laughs> the one I identify most with is probably Hardware. Yeah, it's probably Curtis Maycap. Why? That was the first thing that Dwayne and I did at Milestone together. I mean, we created everything, uh, you know, Static and all the other characters. But the book that Dwayne and I decided to do together, you know, we could have picked anything, um, was Hardware only because he best expressed how we felt about the comics industry and how we felt about things at that time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like the, the, I think the first title, of the first story was Angry Black Man, which should have told you everything <laughs> about, about where we were. So, um, and we, we, we thoroughly enjoyed working on that title. We really did. It was never a drag. It was always fun because he, he was just a bastard. Yeah. So, <laughs> this is like, this is great. Um, not everyone's favorite cup of tea, but I certainly got a big kick out of doing hardware. Really did. And then, you know, him and I, Dwayne, I jumped on hardware and was also building on the success of uh, Deflock. Yeah, because that was, what, 1990, 1989 that you had to, okay. Exactly, 89, 90, 91, or mm -hmm, whatever that was. Mm -hmm. So um, we, you know, we explored a lot of the things that we took 
into hardware, we had started exploring in, in Deathlock with the souls of cyber folk and, you know, basically the story of a black man trapped in a monster's body or a mon- you know, a brain trapped in a monster's body is a metaphor yeah. for our experiences, you know, like how people perceive you and what you really are. Um, what did you think when you saw Deathlock show up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Um, I remember liking the actor. Mm-hmm. Cause I like, I like, I like that. I like that guy. He's a good guy. Um, but I don't think he was really, it just, I think visually, cause I'm an artist, right? Yeah. It was like, well, that doesn't look like, that doesn't look like Deathlock. <laughs> Deathlock's supposed to look like, kind of like I drew him. And that was it for me. I couldn't even look at it. Right. Right. Not because it didn't look like I drew it, but because it didn't look like Deathlock. Right. You know, it looked like some kind of strange thing that they couldn't figure out what to do. Like they were afraid to really go for it. You know, you get the feeling, I hate to say this, but if it was a Netflix show, mm-hmm. it would have been really Deathlock. Right. <laughs> they would get, right. They would have had the time I mean? and the money to de- delve into it. So Yeah, yeah. It would have been really Deathlock. You know, it would have been like the real thing. Like if he was on any of those shows, like, you know, Daredevil or whatever, Deathlock would have showed up. He would have been the dude with rotting flesh. Right. And, <laughs> you know, cybernetic and blah, blah, blah. It would have been so dope. So that's the next one that we got to get Netflix to do then. We got to put that out there so that Netflix, if you're listening, yeah, right? we could use the Deathlock. Honestly, we could use all of them. You could use icons. You could bring static back. We're not mad at any of that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when you first worked on The Question back in the 80s, Mm-hmm. Was it an exciting experience? Well, you know, by that time, by the time I I'd done the question, it was like probably I don't know what the years were, nineteen eighty five or whatever mm-hmm. it was. I had been in comics. I mean, I got in comics when I was fourteen years old, so um, I had already been in comics for a while at that point. It wasn't anything new to me. Um, what was new was having the responsibility of a series that big. On, mm. on me, but prior to that, I had done Power Man and Iron Fist for a couple of years, you know, and I had done the Black Panther miniseries. I had done all kinds of stuff um, before I got before I got on on the question. So what was different was just the type of material and um, having that responsibility of pushing that thing out every month when it was so different. That's what was the, the challenge about it. Mike's my memories of working on it, and I've told people this before, was there was always stress. Mm. So not in a bad, bad way, but more in a like, I have to make these deadlines. I'm constantly messing up these deadlines kind of way. You know, going home, working all night, drawing, trying to get it right, trying to get Denny's scripts right, trying to, to get the, trying to make these deadlines, trying to survive, you know, in Manhattan or whatever I was trying to do at the time. So my memories of it, of it is always getting stuff wrong. <laughs> like, like. You did this panel wrong. You did that panel wrong. You got this sequence wrong. Go back and do it again, Dennis. This is from my golden Denny, and I have to go back and do it again until it was right. Um, mm-hmm. It was like it was like it was like all the rewards for for doing the question came after doing the question. Certainly not during it. It wasn't torture. Yeah, but it wasn't easy. Was the question your first non Marvel property that you worked on? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it was the first non 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 superhero series mm-hmm. that I worked on. Gotcha. Um, and um, you know, it was my second time working with Denny O'Neill. Denny was my editor on Power Man and Iron Fist mm-hmm. over at Marvel, and then I finally get out from under that experience, which was tough. And I get over to DC and I get offered the question, and literally that Monday, after Friday, I I got the job Monday. I'm being walked over to to an office. And they're like, okay, here's the writer and here's your editor. They open the door and it's Denny O'Neill, who's the writer. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and it's Mike Gold, who's the editor. And I'm thinking, 
I'm going to work with Danny O'Neill again. And he hates me. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> so um, it was uh, three years of working with Danny again. But um, Danny, uh, Danny's so responsible for so much of what I am now that I can't even thank him enough, him or Michael. They were just um, tough in the best kind of way. They were just trying to make me a better professional. That was it. I have to jump back to one thing that you said, and then we'll come back to the question. And that was uh, the fact that you got into the business at 14. Can you tell me what that comic was? I didn't do a comic at 14. I was an assistant. Got it. So I worked for, um, yeah, I worked for Rich Buckler when I was 14. Wow. And I was in high school. Yeah. And I ended up working for Rich Buckler and working with um, a guy named Ken Langraf and through Rich, Rich brought me up to DC Comics. And that's when I met Garcia Lopez and Vinnie Coletta and, and, and all the Joe Orlando and all these people. So I worked for Rich for about a year or two. And then I worked for Neil Adams. Wow. So now I'm 15 years old and I'm working for Neil Adams at Continuity full time. So instead it was a, it was an internship program. So instead of going to the high school of art and design, which is where I was accepted, I was working for Neil right after Rich. So I really was raised by these comic book guys. Yeah, you absolutely were. In a profound way. Yeah, I really was. Gray Morrow, uh, all of them, all these people. I would see them on a daily basis as a kid. That's incredible. And uh, yeah, it was. was, I'm probably the last of a breed who got a chance to do that. Times are different now. But back then, there were big, giant artist studios, and you could go in there and work as an artist. And and they also weren't putting out comics every 15 minutes, so there was more time... (laughs) To learn. <laughs> right, right. And it was also a time where they would develop young artists. Mm. So you wouldn't get thrown right into the fire. You would get eight-page, five-page stories. And they would work on, you know, the editors would work on these stories with you until they were right. And I said this before, too. The way you knew you did a good job was that they would never say you're a great artist. They would just give you another script. And that way you knew you had passed the test and you got, <laughs> you got a chance to, to do what you wanted to do. So I kept getting new scripts. I was lucky. Yeah, you were very lucky. And I've, obviously it paid off because your work is phenomenal. And, you know, that's why you've had fans for over how many years now? Come on. <laughs> so I can't even think. <laughs> so coming back to the question in 2019, what was that like and how did it happen? Well, I had drawn the question one other time before that, and that was for the um, Blackest Night crossover DC thing that they were doing when they were bringing back some of the classic characters. Mm-hmm. So I got a chance to do the last issue of the question. Um, then we had stopped with issue 35. I got to do issue 36, 10 years later, mm. um, or whatever, whatever it was, you know, 20 years later at that point. Um, so I did that and, you know, I'm thinking, okay, that's it for the question. I'm done with it. Jeff Lemire uh, reached out to me. He had been thinking about doing the question and he wanted to do it with me. Um, we came up with a story, pitched it to Dan DiDio at the time. You know, he was the man and Dan totally rejected it. Wasn't good enough. We had to come back, come back, come up with another story. Mostly Jeff, me just adding some things to it. Like, this would be good, Jeff. That would be good, Jeff. And um, <laughs> um, we resubmitted it this time. Dan liked it. The powers of DC liked it. Greenlit the book. So I get the first script. And I'm thinking, this is going to be a piece of cake. And I know the question. I mean, it's a question. I sit down, I start to draw, and I realize, oh, my God, this might be the hardest stuff I've ever had to draw again. (laughs) I don't remember how to draw the question or, like, 
what 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 was I thinking back then drawing all this stuff? I'm looking at all this old work thinking, what was who was that dude who drew this stuff? Because I certainly can't do this now. And it was <laughs> it's been quite a quite a journey. So hopefully I pick some of it back up, you know. But it's like it's not like you're jumping on a bike again. Ah, it's no problem. It's more like, holy crap, I'm working on the last issues now. So it's it's gotten easier, but well, yeah, because it's a, it's a, it's like falling off a bike. It's you, you know you got to get back on. You can ride it again. Yeah, you just got to get back on and fall off <laughs> again. Yeah. Or ride real slow. It's like you ain't speed nowhere. Just ride. But it 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 looks really really good, and it's interesting because oh, so nice. I wondered whether or not because some of Vic's morals, you wonder like are those dated? But it's very interesting when it came back seeing him in the world now, and the fact that he's struggling. You know, that I think is very interesting. And also the metaphysical right. aspect, like the dragon and the metaphysical aspect of his character are fascinating because mm -hmm. he does not like that. He's mm -hmm. very black and white. Um, right. He doesn't understand it, really. So he keeps getting sucked into it. And then he's like, you know, he gets beat up in mm -hmm. it. <laughs> it's like, I don't believe this stuff and I'm getting my ass kicked by it. But even even That's your great. artwork changed, like from, you know, the 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 cut and dry, very rigid lines of his suit started changing when he sort of, I don't know what dragon gave him, but, <laughs> but when he started, you know, tripping and really going into his, his third eye space, even the, the artwork yeah, and everything yeah. there got more fluid, less, you know, lines. Oh, Were there... listen to you. Well, um, you know, we purposely, I don't know if people even notice this. I hope they do, but you know that, yeah, we did adjust the art to re reflect his, you know, state of, you know, oh shit, I'm losing my mind. I'm going crazy. <laughs> uh, but more than that is between every issue, like issue one uh, takes place in present day, but issue two takes place in the West. Mm -hmm. We did an entirely different style Yeah. for that. It's colored differently. It's drawn, you know, a little differently. It's inked, built so brilliant. Um, but it's like a different look. We were going for a different look. And then the third one is a completely different look than the second one. Ah, um, it okay. takes place in the 40s and it's all in like black and white film noir, lots of shadows, um, you know, trench coats, you know, trench coats and, 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 and fedoras and, 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 you know, femme fatales and, and everything, old cars and, you know, just film noir, it's a whole different look. So we've been playing around with visually how we're representing these stories too, between these issues. Yeah. And within the issue, how we're representing what's going on visually for Dick. Yeah, it's 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 stunning. And actually, you brought up uh, somebody who I was just about to ask about. What was it like working with Bill Sienkiewicz? I It's not like you've never worked with him before, Bill, but what was this like? Well, Bill's my dude. You know, Bill and I have been working together for years and years. And um, uh, it's still, I think, a really wonderful collaboration. I think that he enjoys it as much as I do. Uh, well, maybe he enjoys it less than I do because he's so great. <laughs> Looking at his stuff, and it's always it's always so brilliant. Um, uh, but you know, I I I don't mind sharing. It, but I liken working with Bill to like being in a band in a way. You know, it's like being in the Rolling Stones, and you've got Mick Jagger and Keith Richards writing songs, and they're writing the best songs they could possibly can, but they're terrified to show it to the band. <laughs> because the rest of the dudes, the other two dudes make a, what is this shit? You know, we're, not, we're not playing this. And then Rolling Stones and psh, reject it, which has happened. So I, I, I often tell people, you know, you, 
what my feeling is when I'm sending stuff into Bill to Ink is that I hope this is good enough for him. I hope that this rises to a level that inspires him. And, you know, I put as much work as I can in the time that I have in it. And I hope that, you know, it's good enough for him to take it over the finish line. And he doesn't send it back going, what is this shit? You know, <laughs> like, oh, my God. And so far, that, that really hasn't happened. So, but, you know, the, the, the key to successful, successfully working with someone like Bill is just to do your very best all the time. Awesome. And, you know, just do your very best. And and uh, and then he does his very best, you know, and somehow we, we end up where we are. I'm glad that people dig it, though, and they've been digging it for like 30 years or whatever. So obviously it's amazing working with a legend like Bill. But mm-hmm. honestly, this whole book is gorgeous. Like the everything oh, in here. Man, so tell us also about what it's like working with Chris Sotomayor and, and the rest of the team. What's that been like? Well, yeah, I mean, the thing with the question is, I mean, it's Bill and I, um, but let's start, let's be really real. It's Jeff Lemire, mm-hmm. the writer, who's done, a, you know, an, an awesome script that um, is so, such a pleasure to work on because he thinks so visually um, that I get to draw great stuff. Then we get Bill, um, who's, you know, my, my awesome collaborator, collaborator. But then there's Chris Sotomayor, who's an awesome awesome colorist. Chris has worked with us for years. I mean, Chris colored the Black Panther movie poster that we did. And um, Chris has colored a a bunch of like, you know, the Nighthawk covers from Marvel. He's done a lot of stuff. And, and we usually call on him when we need an ace colorist. And, you know, when this thing came up with the question, he was like the only one we really thought of to, to, to do this. Um, I've known Chris for a long time too. I've known him since he was a teenager. Oh, wow. So he reminded me, yeah, he reminded me of how we met. And I was just like, when I heard that story, I'm like, are you kidding me? Is this what happened? He's like, yes, yes. I'll let you ask him that story. I'm not <laughs> going to tell you that story. That's, another, that's a different story. Um, but um, working with him, he is one of, truly one of the top colorists in, in comics today. He's colored all the covers, except the number two. Bill did that one. But Chris has colored all the covers from one, three, and, and, and four. And all the issues, he's, he's amazing. Willie Schubert was our original uh, letterer for the question mm. way back in the day. And um, when we brought it back, when we brought the question back, and, you know, I wanted that same kind of font, feeling, you want to do the question, let's really do the question right. We have to get Willie to do the letters. And we got Willie, and it looks like the right kind of question. You know, like the right kind of look. Yeah. Willie's brilliant. What 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 a, what a, what a, pleasure it is to be able to work with them again the only one we haven't gotten a chance to do stuff with yet is uh rick magyar mm-hmm. who's my inker on the question originally and you know if we can figure out something for him to do we, we'll, we'll certainly do it because he's he's great too i want to bring everybody back i know you put the band back together <laughs> that's what you want to do <laughs> okay so thank you so much um i want to bring the band back together yes and I just want to point out also that I will put this in the show notes for people to see, but you have some really amazing pencils that are in the back of issue two. Um, and also Chris's work back there is, is phenomenal as well. This, the, the, the look of this comic is we just talked earlier about how comics are dropping so quickly right now. No one has a chance to train or learn or even get a storyline correct before they're yanking the teams apart, doing something different. This does not have that feel because everybody, I'm not saying that you have 
a hundred hours, you know, <laughs> left in a day to do it. But I, I do think that this comic feels methodical, feels well thought out and is, is very, uh, lyrical and consistent in its look. And I find it fascinating that you're changing up your style for each of these. So I will definitely have yeah, links I'm, for everybody. I'm trying to change my style, <laughs> whether, whether people even recognize it is a whole different thing. I'll be happy if people say, you know, oh man, those, those four issues of the question look great without ever realizing that, you know, uh, Dennis Town was attempting a style change between issues to show his artistic, you know, blah, blah, blah. They, most people probably won't even see that. <laughs> just see the, the work and that's it. These are great. It's mostly what you get, you know. They, um, don't, they, don't, they don't understand any of the other stuff. Other artists do, though. I may have created myself a whole lot of unnecessary work. I should have just drawn the thing and not thought about changing style. No one would have noticed. <laughs> Instead, instead of changing it, this was so. This was your idea. This wasn't anybody else saying, "Hey, change it up every every issue." No, no, it was my idea. It was my my crazy, stupid <laughs> idea because I wanted to spend as long as I can drawing pages. I did not want to get them done in a timely fashion. I wanted to keep redoing them until they were just right. <laughs> but that's <laughs> your process. That's what I put on myself. That's your process. Um, so I am going to yeah. take some of the. Uh, um, earlier when I put out that I was going to be talking to you, Twitter kind of blew up. So I would be remiss if I didn't put some of these mm -hmm. questions in here. Um, first of all, the the two things that were, the, okay. were said the most were, one was a statement. Oh my God, you're talking to Dennis Cowan. He's a legend. That's amazing. And then the second question was always... Right. When is Milestone coming back? When are we getting more Milestone? So I know you can't go into detail on that, but okay. will we see something maybe soon? Well, let's put it this way. You know, there were um, um, a couple of um, legal things that tended, that got in the way of Milestone launching originally. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, those are, those are situations that people have to deal with and they happen in life. Um, those situations have been dealt with successfully we're all very happy mm -hmm. with the, with the results and now you know we're moving full steam ahead so um mm. i can't tell you exactly when you're going to see stuff but i can tell you that you will see stuff and um and we'll be able to, sh to to share some of the awesome things that we've been developing over the years and the new stuff that we're doing now but we are unshackled free and um we're going to have stuff for the fans really soon and it's stuff that we're really excited about so but I can't give you exact dates yet, you know, but I can't, I can't say that it's, 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 it's active and it's on and popping again. So. That's good. Um, so another question yes. that came out was as a creator, what motivates you to maintain your level of artistry? Many people take shortcuts or not doing as detailed work during the length of their careers, but you never cheat audiences mm -hmm. in the quality of your craft. How do you maintain that? That's a good question. Oh my God. What a compliment. I don't know who, I don't know who wrote that, but thank you, whoever wrote that question. Um, <laughs> you know, every every job I do, I never take it for granted. It's always like I'm starting over again and I have something to prove. Um, like I have to earn my place at this table. I have to, you know, get the readers involved and get their respect. I want to show them that they're getting value for the for the money that they plucked down it's like you know comics cost a lot mm -hmm. and um i want to give them something very very special that they can't get somewhere else or from any other artist um but every job i approach like that and i'm also i'm also a very hyper competitive person so i'm like 
<laughs> oh man, I can't compete with all these brilliant artists out here now. They're all so great and they're all better than me, but I'm going to do my best to do the best I can to, to, to at least be in the conversation. Yes, it's the total truth. Another question actually came from an old question fan. Um, they're saying, how did okay. you choreograph those fight scenes? For all that question stuff, I mean, back then and even now, um, one, I was surprised that people thought of it as anything special. Like this is, we don't see martial arts or choreography like this in comics. Mm -hmm. I was really surprised um, because basically one, I was looking at a lot of Daredevil comic books. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> at that time, Frank Miller was doing Daredevil and he was laying down fight scenes like no other. So I'm like, I love the way he approaches that. Um, so I remember thinking layout wise, especially looking at a lot of that. But even more than that, you know, I was a practicing martial artist for a long time. And uh -huh. I was what, basically... What what were you practicing? Oh, all kinds of systems. I did everything from Shorinji Kempo to Taekwondo to, to yeah, to um, study Kung Fu, um, Krav Maga. I've studied a number of different things, a lot of Filipino martial arts. What I do is I kind of choreograph it in my head as to how I want this fight to play out and what I want to happen. Sometimes it's just choosing the coolest shots you can possibly choose to make this fight look really dope. Other times it's like a series of movements that you have to kind of break down and put into panels. We did a lot of that in the question, like this move follows this move, this move follows this move. But you have to do it in a way that's not boring. I was always afraid that I was being really too boring with these with these panels. Um, but as it turns out, you know, it, it wasn't, and, and people seem to really dig it. The other thing that really affected the, the fight scenes in the question and people's perception of it is that they're memorable because there were no sound effects. Yeah. The, the question has no sound effects. Yeah. There are no sound effects. There's no bam. Pows. There's no slams. Yeah. There's no pows. There's no nothing like that. Everything you see in the question, if there is a movement, a physical movement, something happens in your head, you're supplying the sound effect. So we, yeah, we asked for audience participation in a way that they weren't even knowing they were participating. Like you're feeling all that in yourself. You're in it a little bit more deeply than if it's done for you. You know, um, so you tend to remember stuff like that, like a silent movie playing in front of you that you have to supply the dialogue for. Yeah. And that was the trick with the question, with the question fight scene. If you look at any of it, it absolutely worked. Yeah. And it still does. The last fan question. Now, this is just going to be on the podcast because I don't know what's happening here. Somebody sent me an old ad of you in a doer's white label. <laughs> print ad oh, yeah. where you are sitting they've got some like and they want to know how did this happen yeah i saw that one how did this happen <laughs> with the you, you've so got the funny. mud cloth in the back and everything they went in the crates for this one well, yeah i know um <laughs> well that was an ad that was a national ad from doors um uh that ran i think 91 92 it may have been before milestone even but it was on like bus stops and on Rolling Stone magazines, like the, the <laughs> one with Nirvana on the cover. That's what's on the back cover. You know, there's a Nirvana cover that says, Corporate Rock Sucks, and on the back is me. <laughs> you know, holding up a, a thing of whiskey. So it's really bizarre. Uh, here's what happened. They just asked me. Awesome. Doors approached me, wanted to know if I wanted to be um, a part of their national campaign and if I could be a Doors spokesperson. And the real story behind that is I said, okay, sure. So they, you know, they sent a photographer over to my art studio, did a series of photos, black and white photos, 
and none of those were used. Interesting. Um, they hired a second photographer to come over, a guy named William Coupon, to come over and take my picture in a more classic portrait kind of thing. And that's what they ended up using uh, for, for the ad. But they asked me to be the Doors guy, and, you know, they wanted me to go to bars and have, like, little meets with people and talk about Doors and talk about comics and talk about how hip I was or whatever. Uh, there was one problem. I don't drink. <laughs> so <laughs> That's epic. I, you know, I used to drink. <laughs> I used to drink. But by the time I did the Doors ad, I was not drinking. So that is it would, awesome. It would have been a real issue uh, trying to get me to go across the country, you know, with a club soda. Exactly. Trying to convince people to, you know, to drink doors. That that's amazing. So that never really came to anything. <laughs> and thank God, because I wasn't really ready to do any of that. Um, and but that's the truth. That's what that was behind. Also, all that. you would really never have made a deadline if you were across the country in bars drinking. <laughs> Right? Like, what the hell? Like, I don't know what, what vision that was. My final question, and I'm going to let you go after this. This is from me. Um, I ask a lot of my podcast guests this question. That is, if you could go back and talk to 14-year-old intern Dennis and give him one piece of it, mm -hmm. give him one piece of advice, what would you tell him? I, you know, honestly, I would tell that kid, like, okay, man, if you ever create anything, like any kind of characters or anything like that, Make sure that you maintain the copyright to everything for yourself forever. <laughs> That's what I would tell myself. Like, don't even mess around. Just own it all. Don't share with nobody. You don't do anything. Um, uh, <laughs> and, you know, um, that'll just save you a lot of hassles, like, later on, as I've learned. <laughs> So that, that's definitely no, nothing artistic. Everything about business. Yo, dude, own all your And stuff. that is probably what you, your 14 year old stuff probably really needed to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So any creators out there now, you know, I would say the same own thing. Own your stuff. Like if you're a young creator and you're creating stuff, mm -hmm. lock it down. Lock it down. Own it. Publish it yourself. Print it yourself. Put it online. Be that person. You know, control your own destiny. Thank you again. And I really appreciate it. Thank you. Wasn't that great? Now, Dennis gave us some really sage advice there about going indie, producing your own stuff, and owning your own content. That's very smart. Now, although Diamond has stopped distributing comics to many comic book shops, you can still get earlier issues of The Question, The Deaths of Vic Sage, as well as pre-order issues two and three. I think three comes out April 22nd, I think. And then four comes out in June, I believe. I know for a fact that you can get them from Things From Another World. I will put a link in the show notes. A quick reminder to wash your hands and please subscribe to the Blurred Girl podcast on your favorite podcatcher. And don't forget to check out my new coffee page. Thanks so much. I'll see you on the interwebs.